What's good, y'all? Today I have another good friend on here. I've known him for several years. This guy is about his business. This guy really is out there doing some magnificent work. I've watched him engage kids and allow them to learn more about the STEAM in industry, especially engineering. And I want you today to go ahead and lock in because he's going to give you a lot of information that's going to potentially help you figure out what your next moves need to be in order to potentially move into the industry in which he's in. Now, obviously, I gave you a hint today, which I try not to do, which is he's obviously in the industry of engineering. And with that, let's get to the first important question, which allows him to be here and for me to even interview him. So first off, do you like your job? So very first question, do I like my job? The answer is a resounding yes. I love my job. I can't think of any other career fields where I'm literally every single day, I'm inventing new technology. And not only am I inventing like new technology, you're making things that are going to have an impact, whether it's um, someone who is driving home and, you know, every, you know, everyone's had that problem where it's like they start their car doesn't work there's problems right there but you know mm -hmm. i'm the engineer i'm sitting there working in the back saying hey when that person turns that key that thing's gonna work or you know someone they're, they're flying across you know we, we've even had this pandemic people are flying home they're trying to like go see their family they know that they're ill they're sick and when they get on that airplane their expectation is that that plane's gonna take off and it's gonna land safely so it's a real impact and that's what engineering is all about is we solve the toughest problems which have critical needs for people around us this is big facts this is big facts in fact you all tend to figure out how to make the impossible possible which is the coolest thing i mean it's the engineer who frankly at the end of the day made it possible for a object that's a t weighs tons to be in the air going and flying from one continent to the next defying gravity, which absolutely still to this day doesn't make sense beyond the fact that you know something and shout out to you for knowing it so I can get to that continent. <laughs> but uh, with that, because uh, you, you you said some trigger words that got me excited, the child in me, because I've always wanted to be an inventor. So we're going to touch on that at some point, but we're not going to do that immediately. Next question is, what was the first profession that what was the first profession that you wanted to have, or at least that you remember having as a youth? Doesn't matter if it's something ridiculous or not. I mean, if I really think back to like, when I was like a little kid, so I, I grew up, I'm in a military family. My dad was in the Air Force and we lived in um, Oklahoma City. I was, born, I was born there, did my elementary school out there. And really, you know, when I think back to like the environment that I was in growing up, you know, it's, it's kind of strange because I, I was always an artist. I was always someone who just, I like to draw things. I always like to like make things, you know, Star Wars. That was always like a really big inspiration for me. And so a lot of times I was thinking about getting into like almost like, yeah, I was always thinking like getting into like an computer animation as, as, as the beginning, just really just getting into like, you know, designing like things that, you know, animations for like video games, for movies, you know, really just getting to that artistic side of things. And it wasn't actually until a friend of mine who was in there, he was like, hey, you know, like I see you're designing things, but you're not really so much into like, you know, the look and the aesthetic. You're actually thinking more about like, how does it work? How does, how does this thing function? You know, that's actually what an engineer does. And I just kind of put two and two together. It's like, ah, you know, he's right. Like, because what inspired me more 
when I was that little kid drawing those little things, I was I was more intrigued by like, okay, this one image fits together and this is like a part of an even larger thing. Like I was drawing spaceships, I was drawing cars, I was literally drawing buildings. Like I was always intrigued by like, here's the design and here's how it all fits together elegantly. And that was kind of like the start of it. And correct me if I'm wrong, now you're in a position to draw it and then bring it into a 3D setting in which now you can physically put it in the palm of your hand or on the whole desk and be like, yeah, I did that right there. And bring out the child in you in a whole different level that you probably, well, you might have dreamed about it because as kids we had imaginations that didn't have great limits, especially when uh, we were watching Star Wars back then. That was my movie too. I, I definitely watched everything and I got to get caught up on The Mandalorian. <laughs> um... Well, so is that the reason that you actually took on this profession? And we're going to get to the actual you know, time. I mean, that's, it's a really good, it's a good segue because when you look at, um, and we'll kind of get into this as we start talking about engineering, what I think makes my specific profession so unique is that I can create something and literally in the very next day, or even in the next few hours, I can have whatever I've just envisioned and imagined right in the and so that's, that's, that's a really powerful feeling, especially when you're a designer or you're an engineer or you're someone who is creating something, being able to get that feedback, that first little sample so quickly, it's, it's so valuable. You know, we, we have to think that, you know, in 2020 with the technology that we have, we have so many different capabilities from making new technologies, making new things that can really have a positive impact in people's lives. But we don't remember that back in like the 1980s or even like we, we got to go back to like um, 1969 when we go back earlier and Kennedy's made that claim saying, hey, we're going to go to we're going to put a human being on the moon in less than like a three year, five year timeline. And everyone thought that's completely wild. But you got to think that like if you're just if it took you three to five years to design it test it and get it to work i mean that's it's such a long time especially in today's standards where we want things so quickly and instantly and you know with the technology that we have today we can crunch that time period from what would take people back in the day writing things out by hand being able to use like a slide rule they didn't even have calculators back then we can do that in a super compressed amount of time yeah man that's crazy i i actually really remember when that aired live i to see Kennedy come in front of the audience like that, uh, like me and my family, we just sat there and listened to it on the radio because, of course, we didn't have TVs back then. What in the world? <laughs> what? <laughs> you said, like, at first, I'm like, my guy is talking as if as if he was present for this. I was like, let's relate. I mean, let's do this. You know, it's, but it's, it's, it, it kind of shows how far we've gone. You know, I think um, if we think about, like, I'm trying to think of what's a good example i mean even if you just look at like when you look at like a lot of different industries whether in you know in your field like construction you know for example when you're doing like commercial real estate you know if we look at like how long it would take to design a building being able to do all of the you know you got to do your structural analysis to make sure that it's safe you know and then you got to build out the skyscraper i mean back in the day this would a, a typical production time for that could easily take like multiple years to do handle mm -hmm. a project to that scale. And with 
where we've come so far with new technologies and new 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 computer simulations that we can do all this analysis up front. And I'm sure you've seen it in your industry the entire time is like completely cut in half. Yeah. All right, so let's get straight to it, man. Let's get straight to it. Go ahead and give your official job title, official job title. Okay. And what does it actually mean? All right, so my job title, I am a design engineer. And so with that, as a design engineer, I am responsible for coming up with how do we take 3D printing technology and we develop use cases and applications that we can implement for our customers. So when I talk about like, what's a use case for 3D printing, I always kind of think of it, it's like, you know, everyone has a piece of paper and everyone has a pen, but it takes someone who's creative to write a novel on that piece of paper. It takes someone who's a designer or creative to turn this blank piece of paper into like plans for making a brand new building or plans for designing a new automobile or a car. And that's pretty much the role that we're doing. We're, we're, we are the ones who are going to plan out and create the actual value that is going to be used for our customers. So when we think about something like 3D printing technology, there's infinite possibilities of what you can make with a 3D printer. You can make little, um, you can make little plastic bobbleheads. You can make little fidget spinners. You know, and those are all cute little things that you can kind of show to like your friends and everything. But in the world where we work in, we're going to like, what's that next level? So mm -hmm. when we talk about 3D printing, we're not just talking about the small things. We're also talking about how do we take this technology and maybe someone who has um, health problems, you know, how are we designing an implant for them? You know, if you find an imp, if you get like, say like, you know, you have a broken hip or you have like a knee injury, you know, a standard implant is just like, essentially it's like a steel ball and a socket and they just completely replace your joint. And that's not really comfortable. And it's just not the most ergonomic thing in the world, but we can actually now design it. So we'll actually 3D scan your body and we'll actually create something that's custom tailored for you. So not only is it gonna fit you, it's gonna match the way that your body moves, the way that you uniquely walk and it's gonna be completely custom tailored for you. So that's like the health example there. So I have to hop in. I gotta hop in right there on the 3D. Okay. I want you to keep going, uh, breaking down exactly what your job looks like for people. Uh, but I hear you guys talk about 3D, you people. And I don't wanna say you guys because there's <laughs> a big we're doing your work. So I, I hear you engineers actually talk about 3D printing. And every time I hear it, all I can think is so essentially you're making a mini statue and putting it there because you all talk about it like this thing is actually moving and it's adjustable and can twist and maybe it can. So that's what I'm personally asking you, because every time I hear 3D, I just think this 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 concrete object is legit not going to move, not literally concrete, but this object made out of maybe plastic that has rigid lines on there because it's mm -hmm. printed off in a certain way so i mean there's a lot of different objects that you can create with a 3d printer um, i think probably one of the misconceptions is that a lot of people think that you know it's just like a plastic piece of plastic right here but you know with the technologies that we're working with we're actually making things out of metal so we're talking like you know these are like fully high-grade 
materials that you probably wouldn't find, like you wouldn't necessarily come across like things like titanium, things like aluminum, things like um, really high grade steel alloys. So, I mean, so if you talk about, well, what do you use metal, just the material metal for? There's a lot of different uses for it. You know, we think about things like spark plugs in your car. That's like a mini explosion every single time, but we can actually 3D print parts that can actually be a fully functional spark plug in many uses. Um, even like uh, most people don't realize this, but a lot of these airplanes that are flying around now, they've actually changed it. So like the fuel injection nozzles are actually fully 3D printed parts. And again, these are like multi, really complex design parts where you're making, where you've got different components in there, which you're mixing in fuel, you're mixing in air, you're at thousands and thousands of degrees in temperature, and it's fully functional. And it's all just based on the design and the shape and the geometry as well. But to your point, I mean, even if you go from like a static piece, there's actually newer technologies. So you can actually 3D print with living tissue. So people are 3D printing organs. So they're actually 3D, they're actually taking like samples of like um, pieces of cartilage, parts of like even like your heart and they're, they're able to actually regenerate an entire fully, fully operable living organ. So they're doing this with um, livers right now. They're creating whole human organs. Yes, you can 3D print a bio human compatible organ. So this is like this is like cutting edge work that's happening right now. And you know, it's probably in like in the next couple of years like you're actually going to see like more and more of 3D printed organs being like a common use, especially like when we have with today there is such a um a shortage of organs right now. And so like when you check your ID for like being like an organ donor, you know, they're using your live organs, but there's a lot of cases where there just isn't much supply there. And so with this technology, you can actually take people's actual living tissue and you can actually use that to then create samples to then 3D print and create these organs here. So it's more, so I think to, when I say this point here is that we're not just creating a bunch of solid blocks. We're not just creating little Rubik's cubes, which you can kind of flip around. Like you've actually, we're actually creating technologies that are, you know, you can create metal objects, which you can use in a lot of different areas. We're also creating objects that are using actual living tissue. So you can actually use these for organs and everything. And then we're also creating a lot of different objects that can be used in computers as well. So they're actually embedding like electronic materials inside of things. So even like um, in like computer chips and everything, they're actually able to 3D print inductive paths in them as well. So you actually have some electronic capabilities in them as well. So it's not, there's, there's, it's so much broader than, you know, here's my cute little block of just some plastic or metal. Like there's a lot of different things that people are doing with materials now. Okay. Okay. Hmm. All right. So go ahead. I, and, and I, I, well, you know what, you I, I feel like I'm a, I'm like, I'm a college professor's talking all of the, the engineering right here, but let me kind of bring this back a little bit. Yeah, we can, we gonna get back, but I have, so just one quick yes or no. Are you telling me that at some point there's going to be a heart or currently somebody has a 3d printed bio, what was the actual terminology? Biocompatible. Biocompatible heart it is on the way 
Like there's it's a lot of, like, how many decades? A lot of people. What was your question? How many decades or how many years? Like what? I mean, easily within like the five next five to ten years. Like that's not even like that's not science fiction. Like there's already people across the world that are getting a lot of it's it's coming it's in the development. So we're getting close to immortality, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, I did there. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean that's a, that's a, that's a whole conversation in itself, right? Just on that topic, right? But I mean, the future, I, I think there's a, there's a book, you know, especially for someone who's like, wants to really dive into like new technology and engineering. There's a book called The Future is Faster Than You Think. It's called, it's written by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. And literally they go over everything that like, you thought it was science fiction. You, you saw how like in the Avengers, how they 3D printed that one, per, that one of the superheroes there. It's not science fiction, it's actually, coming to but it's coming it's coming to reality sooner than people think about that's wild man that, that's that's freaking cool now go ahead so a part of your job is working with 3d printing is what i'm hearing um generating 3d print printed items uh can you tell more about what those items are as well as what are the other responsibilities to your engineering position yeah so specifically in the scope of work that i work in as a design engineer I am tasked with identifying what is a, a very practical and useful way of using 3D printing. And so part of what makes our company, the company that I work for very unique is that we actually design and create the 3D printers and we sell the 3D printers. But then at the same time, we're also like the tech support and we're the ones that are helping anyone who buys these 3D printers how to get the best use out of them. So we're in a unique position where we're actually developing a new 3D printer. It's a brand new technology that's gonna make 3D printing faster than what people have traditionally seen with 3D printers. And it's also going to make it significantly cheaper than what most people have seen before. So for my specific job, um, I do a lot of consulting. So whether it's working with someone like the government or if it's working with a very large defense contractor or it's working with like a very large automotive company as a as a design engineer i'm actually working with their own designers so they're the experts on whether it's designing a plane designing a car or if they need a certain amount of parts for their logistics plan and then so they break down they have the actual layouts of their yeah, you know it's they're the ones that they're going to be the experts on their product. How it operates, the pieces and things like exactly. that. Exactly. And you I'm the person who's translating it. So, so I'm the one who says, all right, I know that this is how you've designed it. This is how it works. This is what you need from it. This is how you want this product to function and to be successful. So how do I, using the technology that we're providing, how do we make sure that we can provide you something that's going to meet all of those needs for you there. And that kind of encompasses a lot of the challenges when we talk about manufacturing. And so, um, especially in the field of manufacturing, the expectation is that you're not gonna create just one part, but the expectation is you're gonna make thousands, and, th and in some cases, millions of parts. And every single one of these little pieces that you're creating here has to be exactly the same, it has to, it has to function the same way. 
it has to behave the same way. And if there's any defects or any problems that show up, you have to scrap all those parts. And so it's very important as a design engineer that, that we're also making sure that as we develop this part, we're also developing a production process for them as well. Because their expectation is that as soon as you flip the switch, this printer is just going to make the same thing every single time. And that's, that in itself is a, can be a challenging aspect to it as well, especially when you're creating new technology. Because we're, at the same time, we're also figuring it out, okay, when this behaves on the printer, it doesn't work as correctly. Like, I always kind of think of it like um, if, ever, if anyone's ever used like a copier machine, like when you click a button and you say like, I want like a thousand copies of like my report or whatever it is, your, your homework for class or whatnot, you always expect that, hey, the copier is just going to make the same thing every single time. But what's not necessarily appreciated is the months and the years that went into developing to make sure that that thing was going to work the same way every single time. So that's kind of where, I, where I'd say like 3D printing technology is today where it's that we can make a few things very well. And in some cases, we can make a lot of things very well, but we're still developing our expertise and getting the technology up to that point where like someone one day they can just click it and it's good every single time. Okay. Okay. So tell me this then. Are you, it's cause this is what the way I'm hearing what you're saying is you are the individual who actually makes the 3d printer. Like you're the person that's figuring out how this 3d printer is going to be created. That's going to create, what everyone else needs your customers needs are so i don't know if this how this works but i'm gonna be very very um well let's say a tripod since we're, we're doing yeah. it. so if we're looking at a tripod you're creating a 3d printer that creates every little part for a tripod and you're putting program it sounds like you're having to address coding inside of this yeah. actual 3d printer you're also having to figure out how the actual machine is physically going to be built and how it's going to be able to do the 3D printing in the process based off of how 3D printers were previously made and you just continuously updating the one that you're working with for your customer's benefit. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's a true statement. And I think it's also, but there's a, it's two sides to it because not only are we, you know, we're obviously going to optimize and we're going to make sure that this is a fine working machine, but we're also... It's, it would be a disservice on our part to not only let them use something that's kind of old because this is a new technology. There's new ways to create things. And so with that, we have new possibilities. So on top of that, we're also working with our customers to get them to think differently. So if we imagine that like, if you're like a, and this is common in our company, when we work with these different industries, they've been probably doing their developing their products for the same way for the past 50 to 100 years. You know, that's kind of pretty typical. You know, it's kind of like a, here's a tried, tested, and proven way, and there's no real point to deviate from that. But the reason they didn't necessarily deviate from that was because they had the limitations from what was currently available. And so now that we have this new technology, we have new possibilities, completely new possibilities. So when we talk about things like we're 3D printing parts that people can use as implants, 
people are 3D printing these parts that we're going to put in these high combustion like environments, there's new possibilities to it. And also when we think about what are some new functions here, we can create different shapes that you just could not normally create with any other manufacturing process. Example? So part of, yeah. And so part of our work is the teaching as well. You know, we got We also work with them to say, hey, you know, like you've designed it this way. And that's probably what you thought it could be like for the rest of all time. But with this new technology, it can be something completely different. In fact, a very common way we kind of describe this is that say you have something that's really complex, like um, an automobile, you know, there's a whole bunch of different parts, different pieces that go together everywhere. But if you can just simplify, even just like a small section of this vehicle, it saves you so much time. It saves you just a lot of planning and it saves you just a lot when it comes to like actually implementing and the logistics of creating something. So I think what's, probably the more powerful thing is that you can simplify what was what was previously a complex disorderly object, which maybe may have had like 20 different pieces. You can now make all of those pieces as just one 3D printed part. So new possibilities. I'm talking like part of what makes my job so unique is that not only is you get to help other people see what's possible as well and get to help them think differently as well okay so can you there might be proprietary information involved so i'm trying to figure out how to ask this question answer the best way you can i guess is what, what okay. I'm, i want you to do so can you be specific not literally saying what the actual item was if unless you're allowed to um can you be specific about a specific product that was presented for you and what the entire process looked like uh, for you to actually follow through with making that thing uh, become a real product for your customer. Okay, so there was, um, let's just say there was a very prominent automotive manufacturer. Like, I don't need to name them, but when, ev when everyone ever thinks about like being like successful, and like kind of like man you know like that's the first thing i'm gonna buy that that's the caliber of like an auto manufacturer that we're talking about and they not only is that this company very famous but they're famous for a reason because they know you don't gotta give famous. us a hint if you can't give us a hint you can just keep going <laughs> I'm, but I'm, give, I'm giving you some good stuff so so i mean so so they actually are probably one of the best formula one race car teams in the world that's how prominent this manufacturer is and the challenge that they're facing is that, you know, especially in something like a Formula One, you're trying to go fast. You want to have the fastest car out there every single time. And one of the ways that you can make your car go faster is um, being able to conserve as much energy as possible. When we think about like, when you have that, like that exhaust on the end of your car right there, that's a lot of wasted energy wasted combustion products in there and everything but one of the things is that if you can recycle that energy more efficiently you can go faster and you can completely like get a more you can get more output out of your vehicle especially like in a formula one environment it's all about who's the most efficient who's the fastest on the track 
and who's going to have the most reliable and consistent operating vehicle. So we actually, so one of our tasks was they, they presented us with a couple of different ideas and they said, well, you know, we thought here's an idea of like, you know, what we think we can do with this technology. You know, we have all these different shapes and ideas. And one of the ideas that we presented was that, well, you've done this way for the past 10, 20 years, but with this new 3D printing technology, we can actually create some very unique shapes here that were never even possible with what is currently available. And now that you're creating these different shapes right here, you can actually construct this critical piece of your engine, which I can't really go into too much detail there, but it's a very critical piece of an engine that you can actually, instead of just taking all this energy and it just kind of dissipates, goes out your exhaust, we can actually recover it in a really novel and clever way that no one's ever really done before. And so we had actually came up with this entire new design and it completely blew their mind. They were just like, wow, we've never even thought this was something possible. Just what we, with the technology capability that we've had before. And they were able to actually take this, put this on the race car and I'll pretty much say that they did they did very well in the Formula One season this year. Which okay, and uh, what was I'm trying to I know trouble, man. Like I have questions, but I'm trying my best not to get you in trouble because you seem to keep trying to give out hints. Cause at this point, I have a really, really good idea of what team this is because I I do watch I don't watch Formula One, but I've watched their documentaries enough that I pay yeah. enough attention to what's going on because it's just it's pretty cool. To me, you see behind the scenes or something. Um, so I'm trying to not give away too much just because I hear, I have a feeling at this point who you're talking about. And I feel like others do too. So not to do this, but let, what are the shapes that you keep mentioning? Yeah, so. Like you keep mentioning, not, and you don't have to talk so about that. I would, the best. That weren't previously able to be made. Yeah, so the best analogy that I can give to kind of describe like what's complex. So like, if you if you were to like so if we think about like most objects that we interact with you know we think about our chairs you know we think about a couch like some forks and everything everything's rectangular and it's like very straight lines like you know even like cabinets and everything and how like everything's a straight line or it's like a circle or it's like you know it's got like a little curve to it you know and it's the reason is that way is because it's very cheap to do that with today's technology you know, it's pretty much like a very straight, very simple process. When we talk about 3D printing, we're talking about I can create something that can perfectly match like, you know, the curve of like my hand, all the different wrinkles, all the different rivets on it. Like that's the level of detail, like even like the knuckles and everything, we're capturing that level of detail with the, pro with the state of the technology. Even if you want to talk about like how, like how fine of detail we're talking about, um, if you ever on like Google, if you just type in like, what does the inside of a bone look like? For example, the human body, the bones that we have, they're actually, everyone kind of, I think a common misconception is that the, the bone in our body is like, is a solid block of material. But that's not the case because if it was a solid block of material, we would not be running around, jumping around, doing whatever. So the inside of our body, the, of the bone itself, it's actually hollow. So it's actually like a bunch of really small little grids of material that's put together. And it's real. this is like probably like 
I would almost say it's like the size of the human hair. Like it's really, really small. That's it's really fine precision detail. And that's the level of just how much detail we can capture with these shapes right here. We're creating things that are on the orders of people think like a millimeter small, but we're talking like microns. Like that's like, you know, way, way smaller than a millimeter. So it's really high detail and we can literally create shapes that mimic nature. Like that's probably like the biggest thing when we talk to people about this, like, you know, nature is the perfect designer. You know, nature's already come up with a lot of different things. We talk about like the curvature of like a bird's wing, you know, that's actually how airplanes fly. It's that curvature, the camber of the actual, of the wings and that creates the lift effect right there. Um, we can capture all of this, all of this intricate detail in one single object. So it's Say literally that a little bit louder one more time. Say that last part a little bit louder because I think that you your audio was a little bit soft right there. Oh, let me see if the audio is cutting in a little bit better here. But we can capture the detail and resolution. pretty much anything you can imagine. Like everything from like, we're capturing the details of the human body, all the way to capturing the details of what Nate, how about Nate, how about nature has designed itself. Hmm. Okay, this is, this is so, so intriguing. So what you're telling me is, when it comes time that I have uh, the real type of money I, I, I expect that I will have at some point, I can uh, make my house not have the normal columns. I can have like, these big grand oak tree um like yeah going up opposed to the tra traditional pillars i can have a, a tree trunk essentially be the pillars in my home because of your technology yeah that's yeah, actually, actually that's, that's that actually, actually is a, yeah so um there actually is 3d printed houses that are coming out now hmm. so there's actually like um there's actually a company that's actually going around and they're 3d printing like all the different for houses there's even like machines that are 3d printing bricks as well so i mean to your point like if you if you wanted to design a house that looked almost like a jungle and like the columns were shaped like tree trunks it's definitely actually it's it's 100 possible with today's technology you don't even you don't even got to wait for it it's already happening is it expensive because it sounds expensive well you know it's like all new technologies it, it things come down you know i always think like you, you and I probably remember this, like back when like big screen TVs came out, those were like, gosh, it's almost like $2,000, $3,000 for like a TV. It was crazy. And, it, and it's, it's so hard to think like, wow, people were really balling like that, thinking that that was like a good thing. And nowadays it's like, you can go out and get like a 4K television, 42 inch, and it's only like 300 or so dollars. Like it's a 10X reduction in costs. And so that's, that's kind of where, 3D printing is right now where it's like for a big company where I work at, you know, it is a very expensive process and expensive technology, but as it becomes more into the norm, as people start getting more experience and we start building up that expertise, it's going to, the cost of being able to access the technology lower as well. Okay. Okay. Huh, man. I'm be I'm be honest with you. You're making me more and more jealous. Uh, every time I talk to people, you all bring out the the child in me who was so interested in so many things. And frankly, I don't know if this dating myself or, or allowing myself to be judged. I don't care. 
but Magic School Bus as a child mm-hmm. made me want to be an inventor with all of my heart. Still to this day, when I wrote down my hundred things I want to achieve in life and like the milestones I want to, to do, being an inventor is on there. On my vision board for years has been be an inventor. Like that is so freaking cool. I used to try to, I remember Miss um, Frizzle, I want to say she had a robot that they created on the episode and I caught myself doing it with some stuff in my room. Obviously it wasn't a robot. It was essentially just a glorified shrine. <laughs> um, and thank God I was, uh, I think, so I almost did something very stupid. Kids do not do this at home because uh, <laughs> I could have not felt my toes the rest of my life had I done oh, it. Oh, goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to say it was either on one of the Magic School Bus episodes or something else. You know how those, glide, you know, you can go parachute, you, you can do parachute, um, or you can do the gliders. I can't think of what those actual te- terms are. But okay. yeah, I had a kite. See where this is going? And I also had a banister that was essentially two stories high. And I looked off that banister like, you know, I think I could fly off this thing. And thank God, as a five-year-old, six-year-old kid, I was like, you know what? I'm going to jump on my bed and just see what's the best way to do it. Mind you, my whole body, it's a kite. It's a normal kite. It's it's nothing spectacular. So it's it's the skinny little plastic. I don't know how they built now, but it's the skinny little plastic a little bit thicker than a couple straws inside <laughs> wrapped around each other. And I tried to put my body in it. It popped, of course. Oh. And then I took the, the uh, kite and I tried to put it back together. I was like, all right, I'm just going to hold it over my head and jump. And I jumped and thank God, I think oh. the wing broke or something like that in the process. I was sorry because I couldn't use the kite anymore. <laughs> but in hindsight, if that wing didn't break, I probably would have broke <laughs> some stuff in my own oh. body. Because I was not thinking, well, I was thinking like a kid. There was no limits in my mind at that point. And you still get to be that kid, which is freaking sweet. You gave us some of the origin of what sparked this interest. So go ahead and lay out the actual journey, the official path in which you did and what another person can do in order to get to your current position. And that does include feeling free with adding any feedback. Like I did this that was uh, non-traditional. And so somebody could do this to make it an easier path than what I went through. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, and start I would say college, like. Start from college, if, if, unless there's something important needs to be heard from high school. There's a lot of different paths right now. Like, I think probably when I started out, the concept of like working, concept of what's a 3D printer, that was only like a few people in like, in like my college even knew what 3D printing was. Um, Nowadays, like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work with them, working with kids. I'm doing mentorship. I'm doing a lot of um, technology showcases so that the youth can get access to the technology as well. So, and even at the library, you know, especially like if someone, they can't afford a 3D printer, they just want to like at least test it. You can actually go to the Cincinnati Public Library and they have 3D printers there available for people to use. So there's a lot, there's a lot of different community resources available today. And even if like, you don't want to use the library, there's websites, shapeways.com is a good website that people can go to and you can actually upload like a 3d model and they'll actually print it and ship it directly to your front door. But, um, those are things like today that people can use when I talk about the journey, you know, when I started out, this was way back in like, 
probably 2000, yeah, 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, 2010, 2011. And it just so happened, you know, I was just a very, I was just a young, involved, you know, sophomore in college and really just trying to like find like what's some opportunities to get involved in. And I, I had actually talked to a professor like my freshman year and yeah, it just, it didn't quite go the way. It's kind of like, you see this person, you're like, man, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to like work together. And this professor I talked to just was not having it at all. It just was not, for whatever reason, they were just kind of in their own different world. And so kind of pushed me off the path. I'm like, all right, you know, I got to find something to get involved in. Were you and, looking for him to be like a mentor and he just kind of shut yeah, you Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's the, I think that's a good way to describe it. You know, I was kind of looking for like a mentor, you know, again, coming from that, like, you know, I like to design things. I, I like to make computer models. And yeah, this person was like the computer modeling guru of my university. And he just, for whatever reason, just was not interested in what I had to say. So kind of back to the drawing board and they actually had an event going on. And they were and the professors were coming out there saying, hey, we've got research, undergraduate research. And if you want to learn more about the oper research opportunities, you know, this is an opportunity for me as a professor to share it with you. And if you as a student want to get involved, you can, you know, connect with me. And so I was there and it just so happens that the person who, who didn't end up becoming my mentor, who didn't end up becoming, becoming my advisor, he was there and he said, who he, and the very first thing he came out there and he said, who here has ever had Invisalign? I'm like, all right, you know, what's so unique about Invisalign? He's like, well, hey, you probably don't realize it, but every single Invisalign aligner that's created is all made using 3D printing. They take a 3D scan of your mouth and that's custom fit to how your teeth and how your jaw structure is. And they 3D print every single mold and they use that to create your Invisalign trays. It was just like, wow, like I've never even, never even connected the dots on that before. So it was so, it was really intriguing just seeing that there. And he was just like, well, hey, and if you think about 3D printing, what would normally take like a company, like, like an Apple, for example, if they want to make like the iPod or like, yeah, at the time, like the iPhone, normally they go through like a seven to 10 year development cycle of just completely taking the design, crafting it, but they started using 3D printing, making all of these different prototypes, and they were able to do it in like one to two years. And so I was really intrigued just seeing them. I'm like, wow, you know, like it's, there's a lot going on here. And I was really drawn, and we talked about this earlier, I was drawn by this, just the, just this aspect of, wow, something that, you know, I've designed up here, I've imagined it and you can literally have it in your hand the very next day. It's such a powerful, it's such a powerful thing, especially as a creator, as a designer, as an engineer, like you just have it right in your hand. It's like, it's like getting like a Lego set and the entire Lego set is built like the very next day. Like it's just, it was so surreal. And so, yeah, so I, and, and it, it, it was just a pretty much a match right there. So I, so I approached him and, you know, I kind of was the very, you know, I took some initiative on my part there because I, I kind of approached him and said, hey, you know, like, I don't really know much about 3D printing, but I do know a lot about 3D modeling. I know how to design and, and make the things. And, you know, I would, I would like to volunteer in your research lab and do some undergraduate research. 
and yeah, sure enough, he, he, he took a shot. You know, I had no background. I had no, I did not have any expertise. All I had was just, I just had the drive and the enthusiasm and the motivation and you know, he took a shot. And a lot, a lot of times it's just putting yourself in that opportunity, just putting yourself in that space so that you can actually like progress and receive that opportunity. That, that That's probably just, I would say is probably the entire, it's just, just showing up is probably 90% of the entire outcome. It's not about necessarily being the best or being the most highest ranking or standing out. Just putting yourself in the space can give you so many opportunities there. So, so tell me this, because you said uh, he just took a chance. Um, we talk a lot about mentorship in these videos because well, we talk a lot about internships. We talk a lot about mentorship in these interviews. And what I want to do is have you break down exactly what that mentorship looked like. And then let's definitely get back to your path as well as what degrees you had slash major you had. But what since you mentioned mentor and that he was that, what did that what did that actually look like and what does that mean? Like how did he help you get to the phase of life that you're in now? So there's a lot of different ways of when we talk about mentorship. Um, you can have certainly you can have like you know like someone who's trying to help you achieve your goals so that's someone like in a university setting that's like an academic mentor someone who's kind of helping you along with your classes and everything who's kind of guiding you along um, certainly even like when we go out into like the professional world you can even have mentors that are kind of guiding you along your professional journey you know kind of coaching you on like here's some different skills that you may need to work on to progress through your career and so when I look back to um, the gentleman that I worked with back at my university, um, what may, when I can describe his mentorship, it was a mix of, it was a mix of a lot of things because it was a mix of the academic aspect of it. Um, certainly, you know, the research, you know, here's this technology, here's what it's going to go through as well. But also, I think he also helped me along when it came to, um, you know, really building myself personally as well you know, being like a high achiever in like a university environment, you know, I, one of the things that I really appreciated about him was like his emotional intelligence. You know, he was, a, he was able to kind of like really dive in and see like, hey, you know, like you have so much going on and you have so much potential right here, but, you know, having your priorities in life, having the bigger picture, that that's a really important thing. Don't, and, and it, and it really helped me stay balanced. You know, I, I one of the things that I experienced very early on was burnout, where mm -hmm. I was like trying to do so many different things at once, and it just completely unraveled pretty dramatically. You know, in in a lot of different ways, and it, it impacted my how I was doing in my classes, how I was pretty much spending my time with all the different work that I have. And you know, it was I still remember we had I remember coming back. It was like I had like a it was the end of the year and I had to present the research that we were working on. And I remember just coming in there and I was just exhausted, completely just exhausted, starting to study for these engineering exams. Um, haven't seen my friends in probably like a whole month, just all about the books and everything. And it was, and I'm going in there thinking, all right, you know, and we've, anyone who's been to college kind of knows like you go to your, 
the office trying to talk to the professor, trying to haggle with them, saying, hey, you know, I'm late, but can we work something out? And I go in there and I don't even go through the spiel. I'm just completely exhausted. And, you know, he just said, he said, Michael is going to be okay. And it, it, took, it, it, put, it brought a lot of relief to me as well. And, you know, we, you know, we had a conversation and I can appreciate that he not only didn't just assess me for the academic aspects, but he also saw the potential in me and he helped nurture me along that path. And having that awareness when I was in such a difficult situation to, you know, be a guide in that moment, it was, it was really powerful. Yeah, and I can see that. So, so to kind of like finish off the story there, so he ended up, yeah, so he was not only my academic advisor, you know, kind of just like a personal advisor when I went through school as well, but he also ended up writing my letters of recommendation for grad school as well. So absolutely just a stand-up individual as well. And, you know, I, I, certainly when I see him on LinkedIn, I try and give him a little shout out here and there and plug in his piece because he was a really big influence on my professional journey and where I'm even, even at today. Mm -hmm. So what was your major and your degree? Yeah, so my major was mechanical engineering. Um, so I got a bachelor's degree at Virginia Tech and then I went to Penn State University and I got a master's degree in mechanical engineering as well. So all of them were kind of intertwined where the first, when I was in Virginia, my undergraduate, it was kind of, you know, doing this, doing the research, learning about 3D printers, learning about how does these things operate. And he was kind of, he kind of coached me along the way and said, hey, you know, I see that you're really interested in this work and there's this really great program up at Penn State University. And it just so happens that this professor at Penn State University is, was, was my former roommate back when I was in grad school. So if this is a place you wanna to go to, I can write a letter of recommendation. And sure enough, he plugged me in, made the connection, and I met my, my then second advisor at Penn State University. And it was just, just a perfect match. Just so. I say that to kind of talk about, you know, when we talk about how you're going to get into 3D printing, you know, certainly getting involved, getting involved, you know, if you can just use whatever's in front of you, whether you're at a community college or you're at a university or even if you're in high school, you know, getting involved with some level of a 3D printing project, just take that initiative, even if you're like creating something simple for yourself that you want to challenge yourself as an engineer, just you want to show that you can be an inventor as well. That initiative is very key as well. Um, but then additionally as well, I think also, you know, building relationships, you know, I was really fortunate that I was able to build a relationship with this advisor, my mentor over time, and then being able to then leverage his network as well, to then go to the opportunities that I had as well. And then I think lastly, just being vocal about it. Um, when I ended up, pursuing my job right here, you know, I was very, I went to a whole bunch of different career fairs. I was in, so again, I was in grad school at Penn State, which is in, Penn State's located in the geographic center of the state of Pennsylvania, so there's not really much out there. Philadelphia is like a four-hour drive. Pittsburgh is like another three-hour drive. New York City is like another six-hour drive. So you're not really, you could certainly drive to get these places, but you're not like out there every single day 
necessarily near where all the opportunities are. So I was pretty much busting my tail. I was at every single career fair. I even got involved in a lot of different conferences. I went to conferences in D.C. I even went to a conference in Kansas City, and I was very names of them. Do you remember any of the names of these conferences? As yeah. Well? So the conference. So a good one for your users, especially like um anyone who wants to get involved in the technology-based field for engineering. The National Society of Black Engineers is one of the best organizations to get involved in. Not only from just career and professional advancement, but just the community of people that you're going to meet around that's out there. Like you're not you're not going to be the only person. Like especially if you go to any of these predominant predominantly white institutions, as we as we typically call like some of these universities that you go to when you're at a a National Society of Black Engineers conference, you are surrounded amongst family. Yeah. And that in itself is powerful as well because when you're you're amongst the family, they look out for you. I can I can only imagine attending. I mean, so I attended a HWCU and having attended a HWCU, I definitely have to say that I can see where it's so important as an engineer being in a building where the walls are filled with only faces that reflect that it's an HWCU and no one in there really looks like you. And if there is, there's maybe a face like yours that shows up around 89, 91 or something like that, if you're lucky. And I can see how having an organization filled with brilliant minds like yourself, uh, it, it helps you to re be reminded like, hey, I'm not alone, as well as, man, <laughs> I can be a human here opposed to be an individual in a space that has to constantly prove that I deserve to be here opposed to me being here just like you're here and we're here for the exact same reason and you're not having to prove that you, why you're here but I do because of any odd reason and so for that reason I can definitely see the value of a person who attends a HWCU and needs that because I mean Having attended one, I absolutely know that when I went to classes, I mean, I remember one of my professors in grad school, he said, he asked a question and it was a, socio, it was a sociology um, master. So this is why they would ask a question like this. He was trying to make a point. He was like, how many times when you walk on campus and he said this to everyone, do you think about your race? Like, do you do this every single day? And of course only the black people raise their hands. And only time, and then dialogue happened because it was like, yeah, because when you're a black person and you attend an HWCU, chances are no one <laughs> is going to not realize that you're present unless they have their back turned to you. And once you, they turn around, they're going to know you're present. While if you're not um, black or any other um, person of color, then there's a high chance that when you walk on campus, you're the majority. You're just another student. And it allows you to have the freedom to just think peacefully with clear thoughts only about the actual work opposed to do I have to prove myself because I'm present as myself, <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous out loud. Um, but um, I hear you. So you said Nesby, how many like just so people can have a good understanding of how many uh, career fairs you went to like because because you're, you're talking about the re resiliency that it took for you to have this this position as well as talking about what you did in 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 college and how there was a guy who kind of turned you down but you're like yeah whatever i'm gonna keep going and, and you that that's, be, that's called being tenacious and that's extremely important and for people to know that people like you who are successful it didn't just happen so how many career fairs did you have to go to in order to actually establish yourself 
in the industry. I mean, can't find a job. To find a job. To be fair, I would I wouldn't really put the emphasis on the number of career fairs because it's going to vary from people. Like mm-hmm. I remember the very first career fair I went to as like a freshman in college, and you know, it's just it's something that it as you get more experience, it's going to come more naturally. Whereas I had peers, you know, so I went there and I, there was probably like, I'd say like 110 companies. And I probably talked to about like, you know, probably like 30 of them and pretty much got shut down by all 30 of them. No interviews, no nothing. And then I think I went to my second career fair and I actually did actually have, have a little bit of success at that second career fair, but everything, when I think, when it comes to like getting into like a career fair environment and you're really fighting to like, you know, make stand out amongst like thousands of other people. I think the very best thing that anyone can do is really just kind of like I alluded to earlier, really take, take initiative, you know, you know, when people talk about like you're at a career fair and they say that you don't have the experience, you have to make the experience for yourself to stand out. And, you know, you have, that's where you have to take the initiative on your part to really get involved and really showcase your skill set. So in my case, you know, doing that undergraduate research and, you know, getting involved with here, you know, I've worked with this professor and we actually have some 3D printers on campus. And through this work, I was able to actually understand and figure out what are some common problems with the 3D printing technology. And not only that, we ended up writing an entire research publication and this got sent to like it was presented at a conference and now it's been published in an academic journal like that was my specific case right there to get involved but there's there's lots of different things and even if it's not just if we're talking 3d printing there's so many ways that as an engineering student you can get involved like if you're someone who's like computers if you're like a coder and likes to program you know being able to show that like well i didn't get this job but i was part of this part of this hackers group on campus and we ended up creating this little mobile app on our phone that was able to show us when like when anyone was on campus and they were like a DoorDash driver you know I'm kind of just kind of spitballing here but get the getting involved and utilizing showcasing your skills is is, is incredibly valuable mm-hmm. there's different clubs that you can join there's um different um you can actually do unpaid internships as well so you can do like an externship which is kind of like a very short two-week three-week period where you kind of get to shadow somebody as well um you know that's showing initiative as well there's summer research opportunities as well you know another sidebar i was able to actually go to um, a university up in new jersey doing research on um nuclear on nuclear reactors at what point Hmm? at what point is this is this college grad school yeah they were still we're still in college here. we're still in college here but a lot of these um research opportunities you can get them through university or you can actually get, get them through um there's um government research labs so if you t- if you um if think about like um the most common ones like oak ridge national lab like that's a really big institution that the government's funding to do research and a lot of these different labs they'll bring on interns as well and it's a much it tends to be a much more of it in my opinion i think that's a it's a it's a much easier route to get into because 
again, it's just taking the initiative. You know, if you can really just articulate, put your at, put put your skill set out there, and you can clearly articulate why you think this would be a good opportunity that you want to get involved in. I think that I think that's like an untapped opportunity that I think gets overlooked a lot of times when people think about the career fairs and the big fancy apples and Amazons. Like, there's a lot of opportunity just working in like a research lab, and oftentimes you can get paid to do the research there as well. Mm -hmm. So that's well, another untapped opportunity. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you didn't mention this. Uh, so we're in college, you're either in grad school or undergrad, and did you not receive any official co-op opportunities or internships? You didn't mention anything there, so I'm just curious. I know at UC, yeah, so, that's a big that, so, so yeah, so I, I was fortunate enough to, to actually have a few co-op and internship opportunities as well. So that's, I would definitely say that's, for anyone who wants to get into engineering, that's the gold, that's the gold standard. But it is very, very competitive. And, and how long were your co-ops? So each co-op that I did, there were, the first internship was for the summer duration. So that's about three months. But I did also do a full co-op, which a co-op is you have two internships kind of back to back. And so I had one where it was from the summertime and then it was all the way through the fall. So that was, so I did end up taking some time away from school to have that extended co-op experience as well. How much were you getting paid? Because I, I know for a fact that they get paid good money when you so engineer. I, I will say that um, it's industry specific. So like um, when I was doing, um, when I did the research for that government research lab I was working for in New Jersey, that was about. Whew, I want to say, I think that was like about a $7,000 to $9,000 internship opportunity there. So that, and that's over like three months right there. So that's, so even as like a college student, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty decent amount of money right there to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I did, I did a few different stints and a lot of different, I did kind of jump around, look at some different opportunities. I did work for a very, very large oil and gas company at one point and this was back if you remember there's a time where the price of oil was like a hundred and forty dollars a barrel that, that i may be off right there but i'll just say that i was making so much money as an intern like it was no be specific boy i mean okay. you're not right. in your pockets right now because that was a younger version of you but we talk <laughs> real all right i think uh, i think i was making about when i was working for that oil and gas company it was like I want to say it was like 3000 a month. Like it was definitely like a, a lot of time. That's like a salary for like a lot of people to make it like mm -hmm. 3000 a month. So it was a, it was a very good salary as an intern there. At what age and what, what year is this in college? So I was a junior in college at this point here. So probably I was like, yeah, I was 21 at that point there. Man, you were making more than I was for like my first four years of my profession <laughs> and I, I'll, 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 I'll make an asterisk because this was at a time when the oil and gas industry was boom it was absolutely booming so yeah as an intern it was like wow like they they had classes there saying hey you know you guys are interns but we want to talk to you about retirement planning they were already teaching you about the vanguard teaching you about the, the ira and the 401k like it was the game that they had was that you would actually um, take your intern money and you could actually put this away into the company 401k plan. 
But because you were essentially a temporary employee, you would have to get all that money out anyway because at the end of your internship. So you got the money back and you also got the match in the 401k plan as well. So that was like some game that they were given out really early on. And it's just like, wow, like imagine if I did, if for people who did that internship, like four years in a row, like you could, you could have made some serious money yep. just doing that. Yeah. But, um, that's, but that's kind of the oil and gas industry as a whole. And I'm sure like, it's, it's kind of, it's certainly going through a challenge now with everything that's happening. So it all, it, it varies. What I will say is like, you know, those other internships that I had, working in those research labs. And, and certainly I did do a couple of internships with the company I'm working with, with now. Even though the pay was not like, the pay was certainly, you know, within that like 7,000, 6,000 range as to the best that I can remember there. So a little bit less, but I would say the work and the relationships, you kind you kind of get, you kind of get different benefits depending on what you're seeking whether it's salaries, maybe the main thing that you care about, or maybe it's, you know, being in an environment where you're doing fulfilling work and you're building relationships with people that, you know, you're going to be, that you can see yourself potentially working with over the next couple of years. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like you, t- you, you mentioned the fact that you took a little bit longer um, due to focusing a little bit more on your co-op. I know a lot of people like my teammates, uh, they actually did co-op and it, it was included, I don't know if this is just a UC program type of situation, but it was a part of their academic process. So it counted for like their, what they did at their job on their co-op counted towards their semester or maybe half of a semester or whatnot. I wasn't a co-op, so I don't know. I'm just wording it the way they was set up with, at least I, the way I heard it. So um, I don't know if that was how your situation was. If it was, definitely speak on that briefly, briefly. And the other part is do me a favor and tell me what is the traditional amount of time it takes to graduate from undergrad and grad school to get to your profession. So there, I would just say there is so many different, there's a lot of different paths. And one thing that I can appreciate about my college journey is that it's going to be your personal journey. So certainly like the ideal, and this is ideal because it really is like pretty ideal in a lot of ways. Ideally, you know, someone can get through like an engineering program in four years. And then what a lot of schools will do is they'll offer like a one-year master's program where they'll take their senior classes and they'll count them as credit for graduate school. And and all you have to do is just do like an additional year of coursework and you get a master's on top of that. So you could do that in five years. And there are people who do that and, you know, hats off to them. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of like, you know, they're kind of, that's kind of what worked out for them. That was the cards that they kind of had. And, you know, certainly, you know, they work for it. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do. So it's definitely a good achievement in itself. I definitely co-op. probably. T- hmm? Did that include co-ops and internships in that? Portion? That probably included internships but a co-op by its nature it is going to take over time for a semester so like when i when i did my co-op it did push me back and the challenge especially for anyone who's kind of thinking about doing a co-op is that you should always check to see like if you are going to take a co-op is any classes that you're taking going to be impacted by that so like in my program it's like in order to graduate you have to take in sequence 
a fall senior design project and then a spring senior design project. And you can't like mix and match. They have to be done in that sequence of you get there in the fall, you do the first segment, and then you do the second segment your senior year. And and then oftentimes there's even classes, and this was another thing I came across where they had classes where they only teach this specific class during the fall, but they don't teach it during the springtime. Or they'll teach it during the springtime, but they don't teach it in the fall. So understanding the schedule is another element that I would kind of advise anyone to kind of look at when they want to take on a co-op as well. Because like in my in my situation specifically, there was a couple classes that they only offered them during the fall period. So when I was gone during that fall semester, I ended up having to actually stick around a little later to come back and take that specific class in order to officially move on to my senior year. So it was a pretty involved process. You know, I was in school for, so with, I did about, yeah, every single year in school, I was either doing an internship or a co-op. So I was, I was about four, I want to say four internships with a co-op in there as well. So I was in, so my undergrad was about, it's about 5.5 years. So it was definitely, it was definitely like a mix of a lot of different things from the academics and the internships kind of moving the schedule around. And then grad school was about a two year period. And what's unique about grad school, for someone who, who thinks about, you know, I've got this job, why should I go to grad school? If you're in like a technical field, like engineering, oftentimes you'll actually get paid go to grad school I was yeah you know it's a very that's a that, that's some game right there so so I had applied for like three different universities so I had applied to three different universities and you know these were like you know the Georgia Techs the Carnegie Mellons like and you know I got into all these schools and you know these are really top-notch engineering programs and every single letter said congratulations you've been accepted and then it says all financial finances and tuition, you will be responsible for it. So it's just like, wow, like who in the world is gonna pay for all of this? And then I got my letter from Penn State and they said, well, hey, congratulations, you got admitted. And not only that, we want to offer you a research assistantship. So not only are we gonna pay for all of your tuition, but we're going to give you a stipend so that you can just do research the entire time you're here studying for your master's. So uh, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. So that is that is true. I will I'll, I will speak on that a little bit more. It is it's a feeder system. As yeah. Well. And for clarity, um, if definitely correct me if I'm wrong, because what I'm hearing is a situation in which the average person doesn't know who actually created the iPhone. Like we always connect that to Steve Jobs and whatnot, but if you watch the movie or or listen to the documentaries, he went into a room and said, "Hey, I want that and this. All right, this is this is what I want to happen. Figure it out." Mm -hmm. I said, "Figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you haven't slept in three years. Figure it out, and uh, essentially, because it's under the brand, they get the credit and make all the billions and billions and billions of dollars. And uh, you got paid for uh, your services, just like a collegiate athlete who worked for free. And yet, it's I will, you know, it, it, it translates over into the academic side as well. <laughs> you know, it's, it is like, you know, 
what makes grad school it's kind of it's a conflict because it's like essentially you are you're essentially you know to be very frank you're you're an underpaid employee because you already have the technical skills you already have all the qualifications and certainly if you add in the tuition plus the stipend it actually does match like the typical entry level salary for how much money that is cumulatively actually being up put up line so it does actually capture a lot of the value there. But what I think is often overlooked is that as a grad student, you're kind of pursuing, you're pursuing your research, but you're also pursuing a degree as well. And so as an academic institution, they do have a little bit of leverage over like, if we don't see X amount of output from your research, you may or may not be able to receive your degree. So it's a very, it's a very, there's a, there's a, there, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship that you have to kind of navigate. You know, I remember I came to Penn State and there's a lot of things that can happen in like along the way. So like, you know, you get in, I got my master's degree and they're paying for it and I get a stipend. So, you know, you're kind of living large right there and you can get very comfortable. You can get comfortable. And then they say, Hey, you know, like you really like this work, you know, why don't you stick around to do a PhD? You know, it's only like another two to more three more years i mean you've already shown that you've got the tenacity for it and you know we'll give you like a a little bit of a bump in the stipend here and what often doesn't get talked about is that like you know that two to three year process can stretch out to like another six or seven years and that's not to knock anyone who's gotten a phd a phd is a very powerful an achievement in itself and i definitely commend all the people who've gotten the phds but again it's it's personally tailored and it's got it i think the when you're pursuing that phd you're going to have your own personal motivations that are driving you forward and all the political nonsense of like faculty advisors and maybe you have to stay a little bit longer that's all going to be noise outside of your if this is your passion then i say you know i say go, completely go for it but like any other industry there's a lot that can so like, you know, I've, I certainly have peers who, you know, they did take a little bit, six to seven years to finish their PhD program, but, you know, they are fulfilled. You know, one of them is actually like a professor. You know, this is a, prof this is someone who came from an HBCU. They came from Alcorn State. You know, a lot of people from Penn State came from Alcorn, which is down in Mississippi. They came there, you know, did the PhD. They blocked out all of the noise. This was their passion. And now they're a professor at Princeton. Princeton University, you know, a black woman professor teaching molecular biology at Princeton University. So, I mean, you got a vision, you got the tenacity. I say completely go for it. Don't don't let the distractions get to you because that's this is your passion. And if you got a vision for yourself, I'd say go all the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So, as we talk about uh, you graduating from grad school, did you already have your job lined up when you got out? And uh, what all positions have you held uh, after you graduated? And I guess your your your, your travel yeah. to Cincinnati. So, yeah, so I was doing all the kind of talking to people. You know, I was talking to a lot of people that were in startups. I was talking to a lot of different companies. Like it was it's it's interesting to think of like how I kind of navigated the space. But what really got me to where I am today, I think it's a combination of things. 
I took initiative very long ago, being that sophomore, going to the career fair, and again, not having the experience, but I said, hey, you know, I got involved. Here's some work that I did on these little projects outside of my classes that showcase my engineering skills. I'm doing this research here. And, you know, the, the company I'm working with, they took a shot and they offered me an internship. And that was kind of like the, the starting piece right there. And then they offered me a co-op from there as well. And then two years after that, I kind of said, well, you know, I want to, I want to kind of search around, do some different things. So it probably been like almost like a four year, I almost want to say like a three, probably, yeah, I'd probably say almost like a three year kind of like kind of ebb and flow between from my last contact point with them. But it was, you know, I'm out there on my LinkedIn and one of my former mentors from my internship, he had said, Hey, I just came across your profile. I know we haven't talked in a couple of years and whatnot, but I just want to let you know, we're actually creating this brand new business and you have all these qualifications here. I think you'd be a great candidate for this role. And so it just kind of, it kind of aligned right there from taking that initiative early on. You know, it's like, you, you don't really know the impact of the decision until like way down the line and you realize like, wow, that was, that was a really powerful set of choices I made back when I was only like 19, 20 years old, not realizing how well it positioned me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. And then just, you know, building relationships with people, you know, this mentor that I worked with, this is, a, and this is a separate mentor. He's a, one of my fraternity brothers who, who can't, who's looking out for me. And your fraternity is? Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So certainly if you got some viewers in there, shout out to the brothers there. But um, having those relationships and taking the initiative, I mean, it was just, it was kind of like, just like a mat, it was just like perfect timing and just like the perfect setup there. And he was able to help get me through, get my foot in the door and get my interview and kind of the rest is history and here I am. So I would kind of really preach to, especially anyone who's kind of viewing this, like, you know, if you've got dreams and you've got a vision, you know, take initiative, get out there. Even if you have no idea what your skills are, what it is, just get out there, make that first step, and then tell people about your passion. You know, when you tell people about your passion, they're gonna also want to help you along your journey as well. So, give me this: how many jobs have you had after grad school? Like, we're not talking about co-ops and whatnot. Like official positions outside of school, if possible. Can you please, like, in order, say the actual titles? This is the one and only job after grad school. Oh, okay. So how long have I'm you been fresh out? I haven't, I haven't hopped around. Certainly, I mean, there's definitely opportunities to, but this has kind of, kind of been like where, where I think it was best for me to start my career. Mm -hmm. How long have you been in this role? So I've been here for about three years now. Okay. So I've kind of gone from being the new person to now I'm a little bit more seasoned and kind of know how the business operates, where I fit in this business as a design engineer, and kind of like what's the next steps in my career. So tell me this, uh, and usually it's a little bit easier to ask this question because most people aren't still in their first role. Um, obviously, you, you've went through three years and it sounds like there's been different advancements in your position. You just probably have the same title. 
it, just more responsibility over each year you've been at your company. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say what makes, when you're like a design engineer, the way like engineering is you get more responsibilities. So kind of like when you start off, they kind of say, all right, we're going to give you a little, we're going to give you something here. And it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, if you mess up over here, it's okay. We'll kind of be able to work through it. And then as you progress through your career, they start giving you even more responsibility from, okay, this was a small piece, but now this is, we're going to give you like a very critical part of this project here. And then as you keep moving forward, it's like, all right, you know, you've gotten the project, but now we want you to, man we want you to manage how we execute on this contract here. You know, this is a, a critical piece of, if we don't get this line item on the contract, nobody gets paid nobody gets paid so you get even more so that's a really big amount of responsibility and then as you go up even farther then you start getting into you kind of get you get two different choices there you can kind of still be the technical expert people lean on you to kind of make the technical decisions to kind of really guide them be the here's what i think we should do here's how we're going to solve this particular problem or you can kind of go into the route of you know maybe your passion's not so much in the technology and the nuts and bolts and doing the math maybe your passion is you know you like to organize the people you like to be that person who is kind of coaching the team along you're trying you're getting everyone together to work on a common goal and you're just kind of you know just being the, the director who's really out there just talking with people figuring out what problems do they have you know and empowering the team and each of the people to be successful so that's kind of the the two different routes there from you can be the technical know-how or you can get into like more of the management, the administrative side of things. Okay. Well, do me a favor. Um, Cause we have to, I have to ask this question cause I need people to know what they're getting themselves into. We love the passion, the excitement. And uh, we always talk about how your passion can pay. So what's usually the entry level salary for a person coming out of grad school into a role like yours? What's the entry so, level? Yeah, so if you're an entry level engineer, and this is across all types of engineering fields. So if you just came straight out of your undergraduate degree, entry level price, and I'll probably omit computer scientists because they definitely are like in their own separate category. As an entry level engineer, you're probably in that 60 to 70,000 range. That's kind of typical for where you're at. And by going to grad school, grad school can almost give you like a, a nearly $10,000 bump on your starting salary. So now you're, you're, instead of starting in that 60, 70, now you're talking like you could be easily in that 75 to 90 range just from the jump. So it definitely pays to go to grad school to get that little boost. Because what happens is when you get, when you get into like a role, your salary is going to increase by different increments ideally what should happen in a company is like your, your salary should increase incrementally every single year based on um your as you progress through the company as you get into higher and higher roles but each of those salary increases they're going to be based on the number that you started at so if you start if you start off at a small number that 10 percent bump on a small number and another five percent bump it's a small increment versus if you start off even larger it's just going to compound even further. 
Okay. Okay. And what is uh, the trajectory for what's the, the top position that one in your industry can have? And what is the potential salary range for that type of person? So we got you at 60 and I've moved throughout the, the ranks in this industry, in my, in that profession of yours, and you can make what? You know, I'm trying to think on this because I, you know, I would, I would say that I am, that is one thing that I do not know. And so I can only speculate on the price, but, um, which I can say that, you know, certainly getting into like the hundred, the 150 range, that's, that's definitely possible. I don't think that's like an outlandish statement to make. Um, but certainly I think like if you're, if you're someone who wants to be like a director of engineering, or if you want to be like a chief engineer, I mean, that's, you can definitely be in like the six figure range with those type of roles there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have an exact number to kind of give you guys, but I, I know it's in that, in that range there. All right. All right. Well, um, I think you gave us a good, a good, feel for what's going on and i'm surprised that you said one because i'm thinking we we two three four hundred thousand probably close to a million depending on the actual company you're working in and certainly i think if you go higher like if you go even higher like if you start getting into like you know maybe you're not the engineer but maybe you're the person who's like coming up with the new product ideas Mm -hmm. maybe you're the person who's like actually who's coming up with like, here's new technology that we want to implement. I mean, you can definitely get into like very uh, astronomical level price salary there. Put a number on it. Gosh, I, I, uh, I cannot put a price on it because I am not, I'm not too familiar with the salaries. So. All right. Yeah, well, I'm I, don't, I, I hate, I don't want to leave you guys hanging, but I would just say like, even just like as an entry level engineer, like, like I've got friends that are probably like same age as me and they've been in the company a little bit longer. They're already like, you know, in the six figure salary range. So it's if that, if that's kind of like your aspirations, I mean, you can certainly get there pretty quickly without having to like wait, like put in 20 or 10 years, like you can get there and still be fairly young into your career. Okay. Well, for everyone who's watching, uh, I know you heard all of that, but uh, here's the actual maximum salary one can have. Through my powers, I was able to generate this right here. Long story short, yes, that's what you can make. So I had to look it up, man. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just leave them hanging. We're gonna have to figure out what the cap is. So that's what that number is, and uh, okay. that's what it's gonna be. <laughs> um, well, definitely appreciate your time, bro, man. Do you have any final things you want to say to everybody before we head off? Yeah, I would just kind of just say, you know, like engineering, you know. Whether, whether it's engineering or maybe, maybe you know, your viewers may not be as enthused about 3D printing, but whatever it is, whatever your passion is, I mean, I would just say, just go at it at 100%, 100%. You know, find your passion, get out there, tell people about your passion, you know, certainly, you know, and really just be about it. Because, you know, the more, the more that you are enthusiastic and you're knowledgeable and you have a clear interest in something that's going to attract more and more opportunities. Okay. 
Well, you heard what he said. I'm going to add on by saying a lot of things he's, he's brought to light are the fact that you need to be tenacious. You need to find a mentor. You need to find people who are doing the things that you desire to do. They're going to be able to guide you, help you. And you, if you caught what he said, he also spotlighted some of the, one of the things that we always talk about, which is not just what you know, not just who you know, but who knows you. And who knows you is the person that can call you because they've gotten to know your skill set as well as what your desires are. And they can call on you to fill a position that they know about that you may not have ever come into any awareness about had they not been present in a whole different city, maybe a whole different country and called for you to step into that role. So make sure you're out there, you're building relationships. And even as an engineer, make sure that you have great social skills. My guy has been talking for over an hour now. And that's a perfect example of a person who's capitalizing on all of his assets, all of his skill sets, and is going to maximize the opportunity. And when you want to maximize an opportunity, you're ready for the opportunity. You're also present for the opportunity, as he mentioned already as well. So I appreciate you all for coming out and watching this. And uh, to it is. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate it, Mario. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's time to eat. <laughs>